I was busy putting my guitar away. Let's pray for Sam as he uh, is about to bring us a message. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time to be together, Lord. We just, uh, as a congregation, we pray for Sam as he is about to bring your word, Father, as he's about to uh, give us what you desire. Let, let you, let you, Father, speak through Sam, speak through Sam and uh, bring your message that, that you have to bring and not anything of our own uh, fleshly desires uh, to this congregation right now. Father, we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you. The beard has gotten so long, I'm afraid it's going to end up scraping this. So we'll see how that goes. Well, the bulletin says, message Sam Henderson. So I guess I'm preaching this morning. I'm excited to be here this morning with my Cedar View Church family. It's been a long nine months. The Lord has done a lot in my life, and he's done a lot in the life of this church. But I want you to know, uh, as I speak for my family, I can easily say, you guys have become family to us. We cherish you in our hearts, and I thank you for the opportunity. Matt, thank you for the blessing it is to get to stand before you this morning and preach God's word. Something I was called to when I was 15 years old, and the Lord has blessed me to be able to do ever since. This morning, we're going to be in John chapter 1 as we continue our series. Um, the theme of this whole series has been hope. Matt gave me the theme, Our Hope Instilled by Divine Illumination. Since I'm preaching about the light of Christ this morning, my title, though, is The Life-Giving Light of Jesus. The Light-Giving Light of Jesus. I just want to give you guys a quick update on, on where I'm at you guys know that I was in the process of planning a church in Bahia, Mississippi. Some things have taken place, but that's no longer the case. Things have changed. But through some hardness, some toughness, the Lord has brought light. He's brought some blessing. A couple of weeks ago, I was approached by Longview Point Baptist Church in Hernando. They plant churches every year, two and three at a time. And they said, hey, we were already supporting you. We know you. Why don't you come, press pause, press reset. Come be a part of our church planning residency and let us come alongside you and your family and help you in this next season. Because of that, and because of generous partners like you guys, I gave my two weeks notice. After the first of the year, I get to go full-time into church planning ministry. For a guy who's held two and three jobs, a lot of the times while doing ministry, the idea of getting to devote all of my time and effort into building the kingdom blesses me in a way I just can't even describe this morning. And you guys have gotten to be a part of that. Thank you. Thank you for investing your time and resources into me. I pray that as I continue going into next year, that you guys would consider yourselves as ascending church still, that you guys would be on board with Redeemer and with Longview Point. I hope that you would consider yourselves. It takes three churches to send me, man. Woo. <laughs> 
I must be special. Maybe not in the best way, but I'm in something. But I pray that you guys would consider yourselves as part of that work as God continues to build his kingdom through the ministry of church planting. Let's start off in John chapter 1, verse 1. He gave me 9 through 13, and I texted him a few weeks ago and said, Hey, I got to start at the beginning because there's too much here. There's too much context. There's too much goodness here. So we're going to stay mainly in 9 through 13 today, but we are going to kind of jump back and forth to the first uh, eight verses here as well. So let me go ahead and start reading. You can follow along in your Bibles, on your tablets, on your phones, on the screen. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. I want to pause for a second. In these first few verses of the Gospel of John, he writes in a way that parallels the events of Genesis 1, uh, 1 through 3, wherein God spoke the world into existence. He calls Jesus the Word and that the Word was with God and the it was God in the beginning. He, he wants to, right out of the gate, make sure that no one has the misunderstanding here. This Jesus was God. His divinity is the utmost thing on the mind as he opens his gospel. He continues and he introduces these themes that will carry out for the rest of the book, like life and light. These themes are key to understanding some of the characteristics of who God is. And since he's speaking directly about Jesus, he's equating with him as God. So just as God in the beginning, so was Christ. This speaks of his eternality. Just as God said, let there be light, there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated light from darkness. Jesus is the light that has come into the world. And is pushing back the spiritual darkness of death and sin and evil. Just as God brought life into the world through creation, so Jesus brings new life into the hearts of those who would believe. So let's pick up in verse 9. Verse 9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, I know that Carl preached last week, and verse 14 was part of his, but i got to read it anyways. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It was too good just not to read. Amen? Pray with me, won't you, this morning. Father, as we dive into your Word, hide me behind your cross. Jesus, you are the Word. 
And in your, your words, your scriptures, it says that it will go out, but it will not return void. God, I pray that the light of Christ would shine in hearts this morning. Some for the first time, but some for a fresh, a new light. A light that would draw us and continue to cleanse us and sanctify us in truth. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this season of Advent and the hope that we have in your coming to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you're taking points, if you're taking notes, excuse me, the first point is the true light. The true light. The true light is true. Well, duh, Sam, come on, let's get to it. The word that is being used here is not being used in this sense of being opposed to something that is false, but it's this word that means genuine, real, not partial truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The light, the word light was used 22 times in the Gospel of John. I think there's a theme there, right? John the Baptist was not the true light, the scripture says. John the writer wants to make sure that the reader understands that although John the Baptist is important, he wasn't the light, that he was the announcer of the great coming light, Jesus. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, and through his witness, all might come to believe in Jesus as Messiah. John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Plenty of the Old Testament prophets were proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, the most quoted prophet probably of the Advent season is usually Isaiah. Isaiah 9 spoke of the light. He said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. There he is prophesying of this coming light of Jesus. Much of the Old Testament points to Jesus just as John the Baptist did. When we look at the Old Testament, we see themes, archetypes, pictures of Jesus in Adam, we see Christ as the better Adam, the perfect head of mankind. In Isaac, we see the innocent son to be sacrificed. But then in the provision of the ram in the thicket, we see ourselves as Isaac and Christ, the sacrificed being provided on our behalf. In Moses, in the Passover, we see the lamb slain in order that death might not come to those whose homes were covered in the blood of the lamb. In David, we have the righteous king who rules the people of God, although imperfectly. He gave the people a picture of what the future Messiah, the future king might look like. All of these people, these things were but shadows. Images that looked and behaved in ways that resembled Jesus as savior, prophet, priest, king. But that's all they were. They were just shadows. You see, shadows only exist because of the light that shines on objects and therefore creates a distorted version of the actual thing. See, God used these things throughout the Old Testament to point to the true source of light, Jesus. Just as John the Baptist was to testify to the light, the Old Testament testifies in its foreshadowing of the coming of the light of the Messiah. Charles Spurgeon uh, commenting on Numbers 24:17, which I would have not necessarily seen as a prophecy, but now that I've read, I'm not going to really argue with Spurgeon. Who am I to do such a thing? He 
says, I see him, the verse says, 24, 17 in Numbers says, I see him, but now I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. He goes on to say, as a star, he shines also with the light of knowledge. Moses was, as it were, but a mist, but Christ is the prophet of light. The law was given by Moses, a thing of types and shadows. But grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. If any man be taught in the things of God, he must derive his light from the star of Bethlehem. You may go as you will to the universities, to the books of the learned, to the schools of the philosophers, but in spiritual things you receive no light till you look up to Jesus. And then in his light you see light. He goes on. For there is transcendent brightness in him. He is the wisdom of God as well as the power of God. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Divine light has found its center in him. His light too is that of comfort. Oh, how many have emerged from the darkness of their souls and found peace by looking up to the star of Jacob, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He goes on. This is too good not to read this whole thing. I promise I'm not just going to re-preach a Spurgeon sermon, okay? Well, did our hymn put it, He is my soul's bright morning star, and he is my rising sun. One glimpse of Christ in the midnight of your unbelief is over, but a sight of the five wounds and your sins are covered and your iniquities put away. Happy day, happy day, when first the soul beholds a crucified Redeemer and gives herself up to him, Relying upon him for eternal salvation. Shine, sweet star, shine into some benighted heart tonight. Give thou holiness, give light, give the knowledge of God. Give thou joy and peace in believing, in believing in the precious blood. But folks, we have false lights in this world, don't we? There's plenty in this world that we live in that glitters. These are things that can take our gaze away from the true light of Christ. Wealth, status, health, beauty, family, security, none of these things in and of themselves are evil, right? They reflect actually the the goodness and grace of the Lord when used correctly. They can be little lights that don't have a light in of themselves but should reflect the light and goodness of God. But so often they become the little idols in our life and hearts where we emphasize and focus on these earthly things the way they were never meant to be used. Instead of the world of, word of God being a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, we put our hope in the security of wealth, our attempts and righteous acts. This morning as we continue to speak of Jesus as the light, I pray that you open up your life this morning and that his light and the light of his word would shine into you. Much like David prayed in Psalm 139, I pray that the light of Christ would search you. It would know your heart. It would try you, know your thoughts. It would see if there's any grievous way in you and lead you into the way everlasting. Point two, life, light, and darkness. Life, light, and darkness. John 1, 4 through 5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, I love 
shows and, and documentaries about nature and space. My family makes fun of me. I like space stuff so much. They're like, you need to live in the world. I'm like, well, space is pretty cool, so I'm just going to live out there too. It's even better when Morgan Freeman is the one voicing the narration of the documentary. So there's one on Netflix right now called Our Universe. In the first episode, Morgan Freeman is describing the intrinsic connection that light, mainly that of our sun, and life have in common. Without that light, life wouldn't exist on earth. In the intro, he says, in the lives of every creature, I'm not going to attempt to do my best Morgan Freeman, so just bear with me. In the lives of every creature on earth are echoes of events that occurred long, long time ago. Events of unimaginable scale and violent beauty that connect all living things. Okay, I can go with you. They're they're every action and decision, they're every heartbeat to the grandest story ever told. Okay, I'm thinking to myself, okay, Morgan, I'm with you. I'm with you so far. This is a tale 13.8 billion years in the making. Oh, man, (laughs) you're doing so good. That has seen billions of stars and billions of worlds live and die to create the only planet we know of that is home to life. All right, we're back on track now. From the stardust that built us, never mind. To the cosmic ingredients that sustain us. Nope. And the starlight that powers it all, this is the story of our universe. Dramatic music, pictures of animals, and space. Here we are, right back to false lights again. Now, did I expect this documentary to align with a biblical worldview? No. Is there some truth revealed in the world? Yeah. The Bible calls it general revelation, or we call it general revelation. However, if the focus never goes beyond what can be understood about reality, by what is in this physical world around us, that is just enough light to get lost in. It's just enough light to see the ground, but not enough light to see the cliff two steps ahead of us. There's a connection that goes back to the beginning with life and light. God, who is full of life and light, speaks in the darkness and brings light out of nothing. He creates our universe. He speaks and he creates our planet. He creates the sun and the moon and fills the sky with lights, the stars. He fills our earth with plants and animals and algae and alligators Animals, great and small, some that fly, some that swim, some that crawl, some that run, some that walk, some on two legs and four and more. Then on the sixth day in Genesis 2, it tells us that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living creature. Ladies, I'm not leaving you out. Later on, we find out that God completed this man by giving him his helpmate, his wife, and Eve. John says, by the word, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life and the light of men. John uses life 36 times in his gospel. It's more than any other New Testament book. Now, John is not simply talking about this gift of physical life here, is he? Because he then says the life was the light of men. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me go to someone who's a little smarter than me. I I really like what John MacArthur had to say here. He says, while it's appropriate to make some distinction between life and light, 
The statement, the life was the light, halts any disconnect between the two. In reality, John is writing the life and light cannot be separated. They're essentially the same with the idea of light emphasizing the manifestation of the divine life. The life was the light is the same construction as the word was God. As God is not separate from the word, but the same in essence, so life and light share the same essential properties. The light combines with life in a metaphor for the purpose of clarity and contrast. God's life, light, excuse me, life is true and holy. Light is that truth and holiness manifest against the darkness of lies and sin. Light and life are linked in the same way in John 8, 12, where Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The connection between light and life is also clearly made in the Old Testament. Psalm 36, 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light, the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Second Corinthians. It's nothing more than the radiating manifest life of God shining in his son. Paul specifically says, God is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So light is God's life manifest in Christ. So does the Lord speak life into existence? Yes. Does he create the light we use to see and illuminate the world around us? Yes. But John here is using this term to tell two truths. In Jesus, we have both physical and spiritual life and light. Our fellowship with God was broken because of the fall. Spiritually, we are dead. We are without life or light. Dead men can't know things and they can't see things. That's why the apostle writes Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. As one preacher once said, the biggest but in the Bible. You'll get that in a second. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In him was life. Only in Jesus do we find the true life, life that is everlasting. What about the light? John 1, 4 through 5. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light exposes what we cannot see. For us spiritually, this means that when the light of Christ shines into our darkened hearts, it illuminates our need for him. We see our own depravity and sin. 
The lies of darkness and sin are brought out into the light and they must be dealt with. Without Jesus, we have only darkness. And in the depths of that darkness, we could not see the way back to God. Jesus would go on to say in John chapter 8, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In our last point, we will talk more about becoming the children of God and how that happens. But to continue our theme of light, we see where the Apostle Paul says this, that for those who believe, they become children of light. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. But there are so many that are in darkness. They don't run into the marvelous light. They hide in the darkness. When they see the light of Christ, they fight against it tooth and nail. The darkness of sin and pride is where they wish to be. They reject the goodness of the light. They reject Christ. Number three, the light brings blindness and belief. The light brings blindness and belief. We'll pick back up in our text. John chapter 1 verse 10 says, He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The creator is unknown by his creation. How is, that, how is it that he who was in the beginning, the creator of the world shows up and his creation doesn't know him? I think 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4 helps us understand how this happens. Paul says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Folks, Satan has blinded those who do not believe and they will perish. Now, I know this reference is a little before my time, but I remember watching some show that had the comedian Flip Wilson. Anybody? Flip Wilson, I got a couple of nods. Okay. His, his catchphrase was, the devil made me do it. I remember thinking, that's not right. The devil don't make me do anything. That is many people's excuse. And it's just another example of us not owning our own sinfulness. Does Satan tempt us? Is he the prince of the power of the air? Is he the God of this world? Yes. But the truth is we can do bad all on our own, right? We're fallen. We're sinful. We're separated by the fall from God. Romans 8, uh, Romans 1, 18 through 25 describes for us what we call general revelation. I, I mentioned this idea earlier in the sermon. We have just enough light in this world to tell us how bad we are, but not enough to save us. Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory, that word light, glory. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God 
for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Paul says, those who are blinded have exchanged the truth of God for the lies that there is something in creation better than the creator. There are spirits or passions or pursuits that are somehow better than worshiping the God who brought it all into existence. John chapter 3 says, In this the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. As sinners before salvation, we are in the darkness and we love it. We want to hide in it. That's why when we proclaim and stand in the public square of this world, in the darkness, when we shine the light of the truths of God into this world, they call us judgmental, hateful, narrow-minded, bigoted. They hate the light being exposing to their sinful ways and lifestyles. It's why, the, uh, it's why even as Christians, we allow the old man, the flesh, to have its way in our lives at times. And we struggle and we live in sin. And we go back. We hide in the darkness. Many times we, want, we, run, excuse me, we run away. There we go. We stop calling our brothers and sisters in Christ. We stop answering texts. We stop coming to the church. We change churches. We go somewhere where we can hide from the light of God's word. We will run and try to hide in the darkness. Child of God, do not run back to the darkness. You have been redeemed. You're a child of light. If this is you this morning, if you're hiding in the darkness of your sin, come into the light. Let there be healing and restoration. The brightness might hurt your eyes for a moment. There's always pain in healing. But eventually you'll see the light clearly. And you'll feel the warmth and goodness of the light of Christ once again. The Jews refused him because of their blindness. John 1.11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. As soon as I read this passage, my mind immediately goes to John 8. Where Jesus is at the temple, he's making claims that the Pharisee sees as lies. His testimony of himself can't possibly be true. And at the beginning of the chapter, he actually continues this theme of light. He tells them, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Then he drops this bomb on him. You ready for this? John 8, 56 through 59, later in the chapter, says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What did they do? So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. 
The Jews, the chosen people of God, the children of Abraham, the followers of Moses, these people who have heard the prophecies for hundreds and hundreds of years, who have been looking for the hope, for the light, for the Messiah to come. And when he shows up and says, I am, which is him claiming he is God, they pick up stones to stone him with. The light has finally come into the world. The hope of the ages has arrived, but the light doesn't always bring sight. Sometimes it's blinding. He came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. What a tragic, tragic statement. They were so blind that eventually they would call for his death, even taking a known murderer in Barabbas in place of Jesus. Remember what Pilate said though? I can find no fault in this man. They put their Messiah on a cross and they killed him. John 1, 12, back to our scriptures. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The theme of this Advent series is hope. This last little section wasn't too hopeful, was it? But praise God, for verses like 12 and 13. There were and are those whose hearts have been enlightened by the light of Christ, who have seen the light, they have seen the wretchedness of their own sin, and they have heard the good news of the gospel and the coming Messiah. And the one that Isaiah says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds were healed. Our scripture for the day says, All who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But listen to me, you, you didn't do it. Amen? You didn't make yourself a child, did you? Because what does it say in verse 13? Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I wish I had time to go over and dive into the depths of what each one of those means, but quickly, not of blood, your, your ethnicity, who your family is, in this case, the Jewish people. Well, let's bring it home to Cedarview. I don't care if your last name is Linville or not. And I love the Linvilles, by the way. Or more, for that matter. If your family's name is on the plaque on a pew, that does not mean you're automatically a child of God. Nor of the will of man. No amount of morality, righteous deeds, sacrifice on your part brings you any closer to God. The will of man. No amount of striving, no amount of study, meditation, pursuit of enlightenment can make you born of God. It's not something you and I can accomplish. This salvation, this new life, as Jesus would call it in John chapter 3, to be born again, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. The light of Christ and the gospel shined into your heart and awakened you to the truth of your need for him. I feel like I don't get through a sermon anymore without going back to Ephesians 2 multiple times. We've heard 1 through 7. Let's hear 8 and 10. 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Amen? And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Folks, hope has come, amen? Life and light of the Lord Jesus has come to the world to save sinners like you and me. 
to make right what went wrong, to reconcile all of creation back to himself. It is a gift of grace and faith that has made us alive to God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, God, it is not up to you and I. It's not up to me. It's not up to my righteousness, which is filthy rags. But because of his grace, we have the right authority and power to be children born of God. This season we call Advent's the celebration of God coming into the world, the word being made flesh. But there's another coming Advent, one where Jesus returns not as a lowly babe in a manger, but as the conquering king. We have talked about light and the sun and creation all morning, but after that second Advent, there will no longer be a need for the sun to light the world. For the true light will come and rule and reign forever and ever. The same John would write in Revelations, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it. For the glory of God gives it light. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. Church, amen. He is coming again. One day there will be darkness and then he'll come again. He will be light. He will be the only light we ever need. This morning we have seen the true light that is Christ. We have seen how he is life and light and we need to be given new life by the spiritual light of the Lord Jesus. We have seen how even though the light can bring life, many times it is blinding to those who love the darkness and will not receive and believe him. But praise God that our salvation and our adoption as children isn't of blood nor of the will of man, nor of the, excuse me, nor of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It's God alone who saves. This morning, if the light of Christ has shone on you for the first time, I urge that you would stay not a slave to the darkness, but that you would believe in him who can make you a child of light. Christian, I pray that this message shines the light of Christ afresh on your heart. That as the theme of this series of hope, I hope that you have been strengthened by the word preached this morning, that you would take time to ponder this season of Advent, celebrate the first coming of Christ, but that it would spur you on to look to the great second Advent and coming of Jesus, that you would have the strength to persevere until death takes us to him or he once again comes to us. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word 